Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. I'm so glad you could join us today. Chaplains often show up at the worst moment of people's lives, in the hospital after a terrible diagnosis, or at the front door of a home after the death of a loved one. My producers and I got the idea of doing a show about chaplains back in November after a Twin Cities healthcare system laid off a dozen chaplains. The news stories about that raise the question, what do chaplains actually do and what's lost when they are not available? Chaplains are different from pastors. Instead of leading a congregation, they are spiritual caregivers out and about in the world, and usually they're attached to a secular institution. Chaplains work at hospitals or with police departments and fire departments or in the military. They work in prisons and on college campuses. Right now, I have three chaplains in the studio with me to talk about the role chaplains play in helping people through pain and suffering. And we'll learn how their role is changing as communities become less religious and at the same time, more religiously diverse. And as we talk, I want to hear from you, too. Have you ever interacted with a chaplain in the hospital or maybe in another setting? What was your experience? And if you are a chaplain, tell us about the work you do and why you think it's needed. The phone lines are open. You can call us, as always. Call us at 651-227-6000. Again, the number is 651-227-6000. You can also reach us at 800-242-2828. Let's bring in our guests. Reverend Jessica Chapman-Lape is an assistant professor of interreligious chaplaincy and the director of the Interreligious Chaplaincy Program at United Theological Cemetery of the Twin Cities. She's an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ and a staff chaplain at Regent's Hospital in St. Paul, also a community-trained birth doula. Good morning to you, Reverend chapman Late. Thank you for coming in this morning. And we have Reverend Michael Labune with us. Uh, Reverend Labune manages the spiritual care department at Abbott Northwestern Hospital in Minneapolis, and he's also worked as a chaplain with Alina Health's Mercy Hospital, the Unity Campus campus there in Fridley, as well as a chaplain at Open Table Nashville, which is a nonprofit that serves people experiencing homelessness. Michael is a veteran of the U.S. Army and former Soldier of the Year for the White House Military Office. Good morning, Reverend Labune. So nice. To meet you. Good morning. Thank you. And next to him, we have Rabbi Lynn Liberman. She is the community chaplain with Jewish Family Service of St. Paul and has worked in a congregation as a hospice chaplain. She's a volunteer police and fire chaplain for Mendota Heights and West St. Paul. She also provides chaplain care for Minnesota State Patrol troopers and security officers who work at the Minnesota State Capitol. Good morning, Rabbi Liberman. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. Good morning. I told you when I walked in and saw your three smiling faces, I felt very safe and secure and loved just by your presence. So first, I just want to know, how do you... How do each of you describe what you do? What do you say to people when they ask you, ask you casually, you know, you know what is a chaplain? And, and starting with you, uh, Reverend Chapman Lape, how do you describe the work that you do? Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm sure. grateful to be here. I describe the work that I do as a spiritual care provider, often working in the midst of crisis, trauma, life transition. And I describe that work also as a community and cultural broker. So as you mentioned, oftentimes chaplains are in institutions. And so I find my role to be a liaison between the care receiver and the institution, 
or between the institution and a community that represents the care receiver. So really someone that stands at the intersection of culture, at the intersection of religion and medicine, the healthcare chaplaincy world, who's able to really work with a wide um, scope to mm-hmm. provide support for care receivers traversing whatever life transitions they're traversing in the healthcare. But system. in all those scenarios, I imagine someone in the moment they're talking with you is just feeling really alone. Mm-hmm. Right? And is that what you're trying to get to, that you're not alone? Absolutely. We're companions, cojourners is a word that I like to use, right? Someone who can cojourn and traverse with someone in the midst of all of what they're experiencing, especially those um, painful moments of loss, trauma, and transition. Reverend Lebune, what would you add to that definition of a chaplain? I'm sitting here wondering uh, which of my colleagues I want to cite in in this moment. I I hear so many great definitions for this, but um, I suppose that uh, maybe one of the most succinct ways I've heard it put is a a great chaplain here in the city named uh, Kyle Vlock, who describes the work of chaplaincy, specifically clinical chaplaincy in a hospital, as um, the three Ps, the poet, the prophet, and the priest. Uh, The poet moves through those halls helping uh, to make meaning out of the things that are happening, Uh, sometimes offering words that that aim at capturing the ineffable, Uh, often not speaking, but, but standing back and watching and holding everything that is happening. The prophet... Uh, lowercase p, mm-hmm. who speaks truth to power and advocates for the voiceless and elevates the voices of those whose voices would be suppressed. And uh, the priest who offers that sacramental or that um, religious-specific care. And when we can't provide that, then we help uh, connect our patients and staff members to resources to community clergy who can. Um, and, and I think that as a chaplain, if we are if we are touching on those three, um, then we're doing good work. But if you are in front of me, Reverend Lebune, you're a stranger. Mm-hmm. So how do you address that with someone? I, so big, big part of the work as a chaplain is being able to tell people who you are, especially in hospital chaplaincy. You walk through the door, and uh, and you have to you have to explain in a way that makes sense. I. Um, depending on the setting, when I, especially when I worked in the emergency department, uh, especially when I worked at HCMC, mm-hmm. I would walk in and I would say, my name's Michael, and I'm with spiritual care, and I'm just here to be with you. And, uh, and then from there, uh, we, would, we would go further. But sometimes I would say it this way. Sometimes I would say, especially uh, for a patient who's inpatient, mm-hmm. I would say um, that we have doctors who are experts on our bodies and nurses who are experts on caring for those bodies, for our bodies. And then I would say that I'm a chaplain and uh, I'm here to ask how your spirit is doing. And I would just share with with our listeners, having you all give me eye contact and even just the tone of your voices. I mean, it just, it sends chills through my bodies because I just, I feel very seen and cared for. So, uh, Many chaplains just have a presence about them. Um, Rabbi Lipperman, how do you describe the work and, and, mis- and the mission of chaplains? Uh, thank you. <clears throat> I think the uh, descriptions of my colleagues were uh, beautiful, and mm. I would absolutely concur. I could only add that uh, key is that we show up. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really important in the work that I do as a community chaplain. Uh, my folks can't come to me, so I go to them. And simply being present with them and journeying with them, loneliness, that biggest disease that is out mm-hmm. there in the world, mm-hmm. letting them know that they're not alone. A phrase I like to use in my community chaplaincy is that I bring the community to them so that they are not forgotten. And then we journey together. We're not, I'm not probably going to be able to solve problems with them, but they don't have to go through it alone. And how does this work differ from the kind of care you provided when you, you did work with a congregation, when it was something very specific? Uh, uh, something I always like to say, if I knew then in my <laughs> congregational world what I know now as a chaplain, mm-hmm. I would have been a far better rabbi in the congregation, mm-hmm. and I was a pretty good one then as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot about holding space, a term we use, to sit with somebody at length. Um, we were saying just before we went on air that um, we chaplains have the capacity to sit in quiet and be with somebody no matter what they're going through. And we're there for for what they need, not what my need is, but for what their interest is or what their concern is. Um, usually it's a transitional moment for them, a new mm-hmm. in a hospital, new diagnosis, or I work with a lot of people who are moving from a long-time home, for example, into a supported living situation. That's a very mm-hmm. challenging space to exist in the world in helping them navigate that and find ways of meaning. And it's about finding meaning and grounding. And some, Because sometimes the people we love are the people who love us in that moment of, of great difficulty really can't help us and may even say something that is more damaging. Yeah. I'm guessing. All right, well, let's take some phone calls because we're already seeing our phone lines uh, fill up. As we talk with three chaplains about the work they do, I want to hear from you as well. Have you ever interacted with a chaplain uh, in a time of need, in a time of crisis? What was your experience? If you are a chaplain, call us. Tell us about the work you do and why you believe it is needed. You can call us at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. In Minneapolis, Courtney is on the phone this morning listening to us. Good morning, Courtney. What did you want to tell us? Good morning. Thank you for having me this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'll first start by saying I am not a religious person. And when we got the call that our son was hit by a car while biking home, um, I didn't think about a chaplain. But when we arrived at HCMC, there was a person there waiting for us. We had no idea who they were. But they, as your, your guests have said, they were present. And they explained to us what we would see in the stabilization room, that we would um, be very bright and there'd be a lot of doctors and police and, and medical professionals. And the chaplain then took my husband out to throw up. Um, so there was, that chaplain really played key roles in getting us through really the toughest day of our lives. Um, I've had the opportunity to volunteer now at Hennepin Healthcare with my dogs, and mm. I, I see it every day. It's amazing to me all that the chaplains, they listen, they're present, they're, they're, they really uh, work with the people that they're being present with in the way that they need it. It's not a forced I'm Christian, and you're gonna you're gonna mm-hmm. pray with me. It's not that at all, and I'm just so thrilled that you're talking about this. I'd also like to mention that um, uh, more new to Hennepin Healthcare is um, Muslim spiritual care, and that's something that's extremely important 
for our Muslim community and neighbors. So I'm, Courtney. I should also end, our son is great. Okay, I was going to ask you, Courtney, yeah, so he was hit by a car. How <laughs> old was he at that time? He was 12. 12. All right. Thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. I, I appreciate yeah. that. Uh, uh, Reverend uh, Labune, uh, what do you hear in, in her her story of arriving uh, in crisis, son has been hit by a car, her, her, her son, her husband becomes violently ill. Uh, what does a chaplain do in that moment? I, uh, I really appreciate Rabbi Liberman, uh, who, who just spoke mm-hmm. about uh, that we can, we can be with people. Mm-hmm. I, one of my heroes in, in chaplaincy is uh, Reverend Lindsay Krinks, uh, who's uh, one of the founders of Open Table Nashville. And she, she said to me uh, when I was training to be a chaplain, she said, uh, our friends uh, who are living on the streets, they are walking pr- through a dark and dangerous alley, and, and they're walking through that dark, dangerous alley alone. And as a chaplain, I can't change the fact that the alley is dark. I can't change the fact that the alley is dangerous. And I cannot change the fact that they must walk their path. But I can change the fact that they're alone. And so what I hear in this story that Courtney so generously shared with us is a chaplain who showed up, who stayed with them even when they became sick. I hear a chaplain doing good work. Mm-hmm. I, I, she mentioned, uh, Reverend um, uh, Chaplain Lake, that they're not religious, right? And so can you speak to that? Like, how do you go about having a conversation with someone who's a stranger? You don't know where they are in terms of their spirituality. You're just there to help. So how do you approach that? One of the buzz terms that we use in chaplaincy, which I think my colleagues alluded to, was ministry of presence. And so the ability to sit with a care receiver, a family, and to listen to their story and to mine their story for those moments of spirituality, for those moments of hope, of transcendence, it is not just relegated to religiosity or religion, but we hear how they orient themselves to the world. We hear how they situate themselves inside of their cultural location. And from there, we're able to respond with care and compassion and empathy for however they choose to show up in that moment. Ministry of presence. I've heard this uh, phrase before. Uh, what can you tell us, um, um, Rabbi Liberman, about um, you know the words? Like, again, I, I want like what words would you use to to uh, a, a mother who's in the emergency room? Her twelve year old has been hit by a car. Like, what do you possibly say that would bring comfort? That's always a great question. Um, I want to match where they are um, and listen. Uh, as was just mentioned by by my colleague, to the story. Um, so it's not so much what I'm going to say, it's what I'm going to reflect. I'm going to help them find their space of resiliency, their space of strength. Um, I'm going to acknowledge that this is really awful. It's going to be terrible. And I might actually use those words, this is awful. I might use something stronger if the mm-hmm. moment warrants it, just to let them know that, yes, this is unpredictable. Acknowledging, being almost a mirror. You are justified in your pain or in your yeah. anger or in your, yeah, yeah your, your horror, mm-hmm. right? That that is helpful. Yes. And, and then is there any research, though? I'm, I, I care about research. That shows talking to a chaplain makes any difference in someone's ability to recover and someone's ability to remain calm and understand what's happening. Any evidence that it's helpful having you 
they are in front of, of anyone. Any of you aware of any research that would back that up, Reverend Chapman Leap? Yes, um, there absolutely is research. The Chaplaincy Innovation Lab, headed by Wendy Cage and her colleagues, is doing groundbreaking work in trying to measure the efficacy of chaplains across sectors. Mm-hmm. And what they are finding is that many folks wish to meet with the chaplain. Many folks find chaplains to be religious leaders that they have the access to, especially for those who are not religious or do not have a religious context that they can consistently access. And so what that's fi- what they're finding is that chaplains play a really large role um, in the support of people who traverse institutions, regardless of what those institutions are. All right, I want to take some more phone calls from listeners because they're, they're phoning in to talk about their experiences with chaplains. That's what we're talking about. I have three chaplains in the studio with me describing the work that they do. And I want to hear from you, too. Have you ever interacted with a chaplain uh, in the hospital in another setting at a time of crisis? What was your experience? You can call us at 651-227-6000 or 800 800- 242-2828. In Minneapolis, Trudy uh, is calling in. Good morning, Trudy. What did you want to tell us? Good morning. Well, I Hi. wanted to say first that I've had some really great experience with chaplains when I've been in the hospital. But the last time I was there, I was really shocked. Um, it was Christmas time, and I'm Jewish, so it wasn't a really big deal to me. But they had the chaplain come in, and he was a very nice young man. But I said, you know, I'm Jewish, and because he wanted to say prayers. And I said, you know, um, I, I, you know, I appreciate you coming to visit me, but I really prefer not to do any Christian prayers. And he pushed. <laughs> mm. And, um, you know, he said, you know, Jesus was a Jew. And, you know, I, I, I hear that all, all the time. But, it, it you know, I, I was kind of put off. And it was really strange because usually... Um, you know, I, I, I've once had a Jewish chaplain, and it was great, but the other chaplains that I've had have been just super nice and, and done what you said, just kind of be there mm-hmm. for you. Uh, but this one, I, w- I was really shocked. So I just wanted to share that experience, and I'm sorry it's negative. No, it's, it, it's, it I'm sure it's real. I'm sure it happened. So uh, there has to be respect for people's wishes. And, um, you mm-hmm. know, in terms of the, the, the training that's involved and just understanding uh, that you're there to help, not create a new problem, what would you say to, to what Trudy has described, uh, Rabbi Liverman? Well, I'm grateful to be a board-certified chaplain. And that's, uh, we could call that the gold standard of chaplaincy training. So not all chaplains are the same in terms of the training that they've had. Um, yeah, I would say so, that. Okay. Um, those that um, g- generally, for example, hospitals are going to rise to that right. level mm-hmm. as many other places will. Um, mm-hmm. The goal of board of that training includes competency in cultural um, understanding. Cultural of, competency, yes. And humility for right. others and recognizing it's not my prayer. I'll use my favorite phrase. My religion comes into the room in my shoes for me, but I am there for the other. Right. Right. Uh, You oversee a training program for chaplains there at United Theological Seminary in the Twin Cities, uh, Reverend Chapman Lape. Uh, I understand there are about 65 students right now. Tell me about these people. Who are they? Why do they want to become chaplains? And and what kind of work do they hope to do? That's a great question. United is a really unique seminary. We have an interreligious chaplaincy program, and we describe interreligious in two ways. The first is a description of our students. We have students comprising vast religious diversity, 
And the second way we use the term interreligious is to describe the context that our students will enter into, the diverse religious context that they'll enter into. So our chaplains, our students are predominantly United Church of Christ or Unitarian Universalist, mm -hmm. but they also range um, indigenous practices. A lot are earth-based practitioners, pagan, Wiccan, Norse mythology, and they are interested in all sectors of chaplaincy. Healthcare, prison, military, movement chaplaincy is something that our students are really interested in. Um, and they come to the training program with their lived experience, with their traditions, and are really working to integrate their traditions and their lived experience into the role of chaplain. What's the age range? Are, are some of these folks seeking second careers or some of them younger people? It is all folks. It's some really? are entering right after college, going wow. into a graduate program, really interested in doing chaplaincy. That's something, that's what I did. I went into chaplaincy as my first career. And then some are maybe retired um, pastors, retired congregation leaders, and then others are transitioning entirely into the world of theology and chaplaincy. Let's take another phone call from a listener, uh, a listener who's also a chaplain. This is Chaplain Joan calling in from Burnsville. Uh, good morning, uh, Joan. What do you want to share with us about the work you're doing? Where do you work? Good morning. Hi. Um, hi. I just wanted to just um, share one of um, my experiences as a chaplain. Where do you work, Joan, um, or who do you work with? Um, I'm a chaplain with Minneapolis Police Department. Okay. Out of the 5th Precinct. Mm-hmm. And um, received a, um, a, one of the young ladies had come home from work, and she had found her husband deceased. And she made the phone call, and officers came, and um, I received the call. And um, so as I arrived um, with the family, um, when I walked in, um, she did ask me to say a prayer, and I was able to offer up a prayer and stay with the family until the um, medical examiner came. Um, and just was the, as um, the chaplain before me stated, um, just to be that present. And um, as other family members begin to come to the house, um, the young lady just seemed to really lean on um, me as the chaplain. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. after um, the medical examiner came, I was able to um, leave them with resources of what to do now. It was like a guide um, because, you know, you're going through a lot. There's a lot of emotions right there. There's a lot of things going on. And um, when it settles after a few days, and you, what do I do next? So I was able to go over that with the young lady. And um, we said our goodbyes. And she um, sent a card a few weeks later and thank you mm. um, for that interaction and for the resources and um, for being there. And so I think that that um, is really important um, as we um, are there to help the community mm -hmm. in that way. 
Yeah, you're, you are, you're needed. Thank you, uh, Chaplain Joan, uh, for the work that you're doing. And I, I can tell it, it is very meaningful to you that, that you care and, that, and, and it is so important. Uh, Reverend Labune, what do you take from that story? I'm, I'm sort of envisioning it at all as, as Joan was describing it. I think that, um, one thing that's, that's really important that we, we think about a lot in chaplaincy is this work around grief. Uh, so much so that, that oftentimes when I visit patients or as a staff chaplain or when our staff chaplains at Alina visit patients, uh, I can't tell you how many times the chaplain walks in the door and the, and the patient says, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Please, did you come with bad news? In the movies, oftentimes oh. chaplains will bring bad news. Right. Uh, right. And certainly in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, but but grief grief is a big part of our work. And um, I uh, one of our chaplains... Uh, David Bergstrom, he he has this phrase that he uses around grief that I really, really love. He says, in times of grief, we have to ask ourselves three things. We have to ask ourselves what has been lost. We have to look that right in the face. And then we have to ask ourselves what has not been lost. What's staying the same? And then finally, when we're ready, we have to ask what is still possible think navigating grief is specific. It's different for every person. It's cultural. There's all these things that are wrapped up in our grief, and we must acknowledge what's been lost. And then hopefully we can get to what has not been lost and what is still possible. But in the moment you're standing there in the gap as people are trying to just wrap their minds around this, this, this event that has just happened... Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Reverend Levine, you started uh, working as a chaplain resident at Abbott Northwestern Hospital during the COVID-19 pandemic. What was that experience like with people who were so sick uh, from COVID that they had to be hospitalized? I, I still remember that early news coverage before there was a vaccine and people were struggling to breathe and then visitors were not allowed. They were alone. Family members couldn't interact with them. And, and it just it was a horror story. You were there in the middle of it. What do you remember most about that time and the people that you were you were with? Yeah, to quote uh, Reverend Dean, Reverend Doctor and Dean Emily Towns uh, from my alma mater, she said, "COVID nineteen is a virus that literally takes our breath away." Um, the thing I really, one thing I really want to say that I, I deeply appreciated about Alina is that uh, they kept our chaplains on as essential personnel. And during the pandemic, one of the things that I think was so important is is uh, what Rabbi Liberman is, has mentioned and um, what Reverend uh, Chapman Lape has said uh, about showing up. Uh, people who were, who were in COVID-19 rooms, especially in 2020, uh, they didn't, no one went into the room unless they had to. Mm-hmm. And everyone was scared. I was scared. I was going to say, were you scared? Were oh, you worried yeah. about your own health? Absolutely. Right? I was terrified. And, and, um, but I, I would put on my PPE. And, you know, especially early on, it was hard because I didn't even, we didn't even really understand what the virus was. But, right. Uh, I didn't anyway. And, and I would go in and, and be in the room with them. I, I, that part was the connection. Mm-hmm. It was, it was mm-hmm. being able to be with them and to be in the room. And then as, as, as I was with people at the end of their lives who were dying of 
COVID-19 whose families still couldn't be in the hospital. I was an honor to be able to, to journey with them at a time when, when others just simply weren't allowed to. And again, what any memories of the words? Like, what were you saying? Were you just in... in were you able to touch people? Because just that loss of human contact was, mm-hmm. I'm sure, devastating for many people. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and um, one, one memory that, that has been uh, really etched, it, etched into my mind, a patient was dying of COVID-19, and um, she was a woman in her 70s. And I, I had talked with the family on the phone and um, connected with them, and I knew some about their... Uh, their family, their faith. They were a, a strong, uh, I believe, Presbyterian family. And on the occasion of her death, as she was dying, I spoke the names of her children mm. and her grandchildren to her. It was just me and her nurse in there in the room. Mm-hmm. And um, it was around Advent season. And so I, I began talking about my family and what, what we were doing to prepare for the season of Advent. And I asked her what sorts of things she did when her children were small to get ready for Christmas. And it's impossible to know. And I prayed with her, as her family had asked me to. It's impossible to know what she heard or what she didn't hear. But what I know is that my spirit felt like I was in the presence of the Holy. And the work that me and that nurse were doing, being with her, mm-hmm. felt like sacred work. I believe it is to be with her. Rabbi Liberman, uh, this work of a chaplain, it has to take a personal toll on you. I mean, I'm sure some of these experiences, I mean, as I, as I look at uh, Reverend Levine, like, I mean, this is vivid to him. It's part of his own life experience, his memories. Is, are there times that you're just like, this is really, this is hard. <laughs> It's hard. It's probably the most sacred work that I know that I am privileged to do. It's really an honor. Um, And so the oft-said phrase self-care is really a part of what it means that I can be able to be present wherever it is. And I do a variety of chaplaincies. So sometimes it is I'm an on-call as well. So sometimes it is in that moment when I say to people, I'm not the person you want to have to see right now, um, but I'm glad to be able to be here for you. Um, an honor to do that. Um, so in those very hard moments and all the moments in between, um, all those things that I can do to reground, um, and there are a myriad of these. We teach these to students. I'm looking at my colleague across the way. Uh, we teach these techniques of uh, I'm a journaler, um, and um, I also try to um, listen to music um, just to take time to breathe. Breathing is a very important thing in terms of specifically calming um, and taking times to um, perhaps the one of the compelling things for me about being a chaplain is that we each have a story to tell and I'm privileged to receive it, which means that I also have stories. Now, I, there are sacred stories. I can't go share what patients Certainly. and clients say to me, but right. I am aware of them and I hold them as as treasures that support me as I go forward. And Reverend Chapman Lape, that is indeed part of the training to become a chaplain is that you you talk about self-care and how important that is. Absolutely. In my introduction to spiritual care class last term, we did a self-care fair. Oh, yes. Students were able to come to Mm -hmm. class and 
showcase their best practices of self-care and share with one another so that other students can embody those practices. We compiled a Google Doc that they can take with them. So if there's ever a moment where they need to ground themselves and tap in, they have an entire list of resources that they can tap into for self-care. Let's go to Apple Valley to take a phone call from Bonnie, who is calling in and listening this morning. Hi, Bonnie. What did you want to tell us about chaplains? Good morning, Angela. I'm a Lutheran clergy in the Twin Cities, and I see a chaplaincy work in our healthcare facilities as an extension of our congregational ministry that when we can't be present, that those chaplains are present. And one of my concerns is the reduction to uh, of the clerk chaplaincy staff at M Health Fairview uh, for two reasons. One, um, the roots of Fairview are Lutheran, uh, my denomination, uh, and it was out of the call of the Bible that says to tend to the to the sick, and that our spiritual care of the sick is just as important as the body and emotional support of patients. Uh, secondly, I have talked with staff at hospitals that are all stretched because they're understaffed. Mm-hmm. And now the, the needs of patients who are struggling spiritually, emotionally, uh, are those responsibilities now fall back on the nursing staff that's understaffed, the therapy staff that are understaffed, and they don't have the time or the call in their positions to do the work of chaplains. And uh, I'm just so distraught over this loss in the Fairview system, and I know it's a, a constant issue in many of our healthcare systems. Mm. All right. Thank you for, for, for listening and for calling in this morning. You know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the idea for this conversation about chaplains grew out of the news that at the end of last year, M Health Fairview uh, was laying off about a dozen of its staff chaplains. And uh, I'm just curious, uh, you know, uh, Reverend uh, Chaplain Lape, what do you what do you make of the announcement when you read, read it? I mean, you're you're training uh, the next the next generation of chaplains You're chaplain yourself. What did you think when you heard that? As Bonnie mentioned, we need chaplains. Chaplains are very important to our institutions. They provide a sense of support that many other staff may not have the capacity to, the training to, and we really integrate a sense of spirituality with the care that the person is receiving inside of their institution. And so with the news, my scholarship and my teaching had to change. I was needing to let my students know the realistic landscape of the chaplaincy job market, Mm -hmm. preparing them for what may be available as employment and what may not be available as employment, and really push them and challenge them to consider their role as chaplain and what they might enter into and how that might need to be a creative position rather than something that is already existing because the tumultuous nature of mm-hmm. chaplaincy positions here in the Twin Cities right now. And Reverend uh, Laboon, do you think that this signals somehow that healthcare systems may be putting less of a priority uh, on staffing chaplain positions? I, I, um, I certainly hope not. Um, and that, that certainly isn't my experience at Alina. I think that as chaplains in a hospital setting, we have, it, it is incumbent upon us, and especially those of us in leadership, um, to not only do great spiritual care, world-class spiritual care, provide that, but it's also important for us to communicate that, to communicate our work, 
and to be able to tell the story of what we do. It's important uh, on an individual level that a chaplain not just be good at providing spiritual care, but also be good at capturing some of what's most essential in the chart note, right? Um, mm. But then it's also important for us to make sure that we're communicating uh, to hospital administration, communicating all the way up to every, uh, at every level of the organization, who we are and what we do. I think the best way that we do that is when we continue doing spiritual care. At, at, at Alina, our chaplains are charged with caring for every single person who is under the roof of our hospitals, all patients, their families, and all of our staff. And uh, the more great spiritual care that we provide, uh, the more we're telling that story. And, and Reverend Labuna, I have in my notes that the clinical residency program that you yourself went through to train as a chaplain at Abbott Northwestern, that that was recently discontinued. Is, is yeah. that correct? What can yeah. you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, the CPE program at Alina uh, was retired last year. The thing that I think is, uh, again, really important for us to understand is, is health care is changing. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with uh, with my colleague here who, who talked about that it is important for us to be creative um, in this field. I think it's also important for us to recognize that this isn't something that's just happening to chaplaincy when it comes to healthcare, that healthcare mm-hmm. is changing, shifting. Um, in, in amidst those shifts and those challenges, uh, Alina chose uh, to, to make sure that our patients were receiving and continue to receive world-class spiritual care from our professional chaplains. So although uh, we did retire our training program, um, we, uh, we held on to all of, our, all of our staff chaplains. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, in Fergus Falls, let's uh, talk to a listener there. Isaiah is with us this morning. Good morning, Isaiah. What did you want to tell us? Hey, good morning. So I'm Isaiah. Um, on the Savinia side, I'm a hospice chaplain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once a month, I'm a, uh, I'm a chaplain with the Minnesota Army National Guard. So I think, you know, just different experiences. Um, Many of the chaplains have shared about this, you know, phrase, um, Ministry of Presence. I, I cannot agree more. Uh, I would to add that, you know, for the presence, it's like many chaplains have the tendency to be very preachy. You know, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a chaplain. I talk a lot. And then I think for chaplaincy particularly, um, I would say from what I observe, uh, soldiers uh, or, or the patients, their families, I think most people are, are told a lot. They're given a to-do list, right? You got to do this to get better. You got to stop doing that. Uh, you have a to-do list and not to-do list, but they're not heard enough. And everybody wants to be heard. doesn't matter if you're a Christian, you're a Jew, you're Muslim, you're a Norse pagan, you're an atheist. Everybody wants to be heard. So I think one of the privileges I get to do is to say, hey, I'm here. You can trust me. Uh, what's being discussed here, I know, stays here, and I'll give you my full attention. I'll turn my phone off. Uh, nobody's going to come into our office or whatever place we're, we're discussing. Um, and I just tell me your story. Tell me what's going on in your life. Tell mm-hmm. me what bothers you, you know. Just give them an ear. Uh, everybody needs that, right? I, I feel like many of the conflicts or whatever thing could be avoided if people just hear each one out, right? Uh, and I, I get to have that privilege, the sacred privilege to say, hey, here's the situation. And it's, oh, yep, I hear you. And sometimes mo- many things are just self-resolved once they're able to talk it out, you know, mm-hmm. so... Thank you. That's Isaiah in uh, Fergus Falls uh, calling in. Thank you, Isaiah. Uh, Let's take a phone call uh, in St. Paul. I understand this is a chaplain. This is uh, Laura, who's a chaplain with St. Paul Police Department. Uh, Good morning, uh, Chaplain Laura. 
Good morning, Angela. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm just among some some beautiful people here. I, I feel yeah, you are. Um, I have great appreciation for the work. Tell us uh, about the work you're doing, uh, Laura, with St. Paul police officers. Do you also interact with the, the officers themselves? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, first, I want to say that I'm a retired hospital chaplain, mm. um, and theology is my background, so that helps support uh, my work with the police officers. Um, one of the things that we do as a police officer chaplain or a law enforcement chaplain is we go to roll calls. And that's either in the morning, you know, they have them three times a day, and we just kind of check in. And sometimes they'll give us a lot of ribbing, you know, the chaplains, you know, kind of check out to see if we're real people. And then they'll say, what do, what do you, what do you uh, chaplain, what you got today? And uh, I usually say, well, we're praying for you. Every day we pray for you. And they say, thank you. Mm-hmm. And when we get a call to assist the police officer with a family or something, I always always ask them how they're doing with this call. But sometimes they're pretty um, intense calls, and I can see where it could affect them as well in their work. So um, other times I've asked if they want individual prayer. I've had officers come to me with tears in their eyes requesting prayer. Um, I've had other officers call me and, you know, just kind of chat a bit. They just need something I don't know if I want to say otherworldly, but something that knows that somebody cares about them in a spiritual way. And uh, Chaplain, as a longtime uh, television news reporter in the Twin Cities, I've been to way too many uh, crime scenes and accidents that were very gruesome. I wish I could have talked to a chaplain in the moment. Tell us about being at an incident like that when you are are seeing so many people in distress and and what you try to do for families and victims, but also the the law enforcement officers who are also seeing these things. Um, There was an incident a couple years ago when I was called to in what I did was first when I got there, I mean, I'm, I'm always praying on the way there. When I got there, I looked around to see who was in distress, the most distressed. There were firefighters there. There were police officers there uh, and family was there. So I chatted with family first, uh, let them know I was there and they were appreciative and they were mostly just waiting. And then I talked to the police officers and um, many of them said, this is a tough one. And just being there with them and not saying anything, just being present so that they could say what they needed to say. It's, this is a tough one. Mm-hmm. And kind of nodding and saying, yeah, it is. And acknowledging You're that right. it's, it's okay to feel those emotions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, with their training, I think they're told to, you know, taught to keep those emotions and stuff at bay. And while they're doing their work, they can't do their work and be emotional. So, you know, when they do get a few minutes of downtime and we're with them, just sometimes just standing around and being there is important. That's Chaplain uh, Laura Rose uh, with the St. Paul Police Department. Thank you, Chaplain. I appreciate the work that you do. Rabbi Liberman, uh, you work uh, with law enforcement officers, uh, different departments. Uh, how did you get involved in that? And, and what do you want people to know about what that involves as a chaplain working with, with police officers? Uh, thank you. Um, I got involved by a fluke. Uh, somebody walked into a congregation that I worked in in St. Louis looking for people that might, clergy that might volunteer. And they were looking for my colleague. And they, I ended up standing there and said, what about me? Um, so that began a 30-year journey 
that I've been working with uh, law enforcement and fire and response personnel. I think one of the things that I've um, that I, I hold very dear is that under a uniform is a person. And this is a person that has a whole life that's not just about that uniform. They are there to serve our public, to make sure that we can do the things that we want to do. I like to say about my uh, officers and security personnel up at the Capitol that this is the Capitol is our house, and they're making sure it's a house that we can all walk into and do and say the things that we want to do and, and make our opinions known. Um, I have many, as we all do, we have many stories about times that we're doing the work we do. And I'll, I'll just share a quick one. I was in a car doing a ride along uh, with one of the departments here in uh, Mendota Heights, and it was uh, bedtime for his daughter. We pulled off to the side of the road. He said, uh, excuse me just for a minute, but I need to call my daughter and put her to bed. Now, he didn't leave the car. He was still on shift. He was keeping mm-hmm. his eyes attentive to the radio and to the environment. But he read a story, sang a song and wished her a good sleep. He does that every night. And it's uh, very much a father that very much wants to go home and see his daughter at the end of his shift. And I imagine would love to be able to actually pull the blanket up, up, up over her shoulders when she went to sleep. Reverend Lebune, uh, as we close the show, uh, for many of us, we, we won't ever have degrees <laughs> in um, spiritual care, or we won't receive training as to become chaplains. But as people, we are interacting with others. What can you just, again, remind us about just the importance of just sometimes listening to someone and being present? At the top of the show, you asked the question, uh, what would we say to comfort someone? And I should caution you, we have 30 seconds. <laughs> I would say that oftentimes when, when it seems like there's nothing that I can say that'll make it better, I don't say anything. Being there, being with them and not leaving. Don't turn away from the suffering of your loved ones. That's an enormous act of love and generosity. We've been talking with three chaplains this hour, and I've so enjoyed all that I've learned about your work. Our guest today, the Reverend Michael Labune, who manages the spiritual care department at Abbott Northwestern in Minneapolis. Reverend Jessica Chapman Lape, an assistant professor of interreligious chaplaincy and the director of the interreligious chaplaincy program at United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities, and Rabbi Lynn Liberman, the community chaplain with Jewish Family Service of St. Paul. Today's conversation was produced by Maya Backstrom. Be safe, everybody. I'll talk to you again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.